Lekutei Sichais, Parshas Lech Lecha, Chelek Tesvav Sichahei. It was uniquely uplifting to study this Sicha sitting in the north of Eretz Yisrael in the middle of week two of this war. God's promise to Abraham is uttered once and again and again in this week's Parsha to give him and his descendants the land of Israel. In the beginning of the portion of Lech Lecha, in chapter 12, Parakut Beis, verse 7, Posuk Zayin, we read that God appeared to Avraham and he said, To your children I will give this land. This is followed by the verse in the next chapter, chapter 13, Parakut Gimel, Posuk Tesvav, verse 15, when Avram is descending to Egypt at the time that Luke parted from him, and God said, For this entire land that you see before you, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Two verses later we read that God instructs Avram to rise and to walk the length and the breadth, the borders of the land, saying, Kilacha etnena, for I will give it to you. And then there is the covenant God makes with Avraham and says to him, Lizaracha nosati pras. To your descendants or your children, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the Nile until the great Euphrates River. The verses then continue to list the ten nations who at the time inhabited the land, with the last three, the lands of Edom, Moab, and Amain, or the Keni, Knizi, and Kadmaini, destined to be our heritage in the future, as discussed in the Medrash. There's a general difference between these promises. The first two, I will give this land to your children, and I will give to you and your offspring forever, both spoken as a promise to be fulfilled in the future, are not connected to anything that Avraham says or does. The promise to your seed, I have given this land, said in past tense, was spoken after Avraham walked the length and breadth of the land and connect to God's words that this land would be given as an inheritance. And in response to Avraham's question, ki irashena, how will I know that I inherited the land? The Raghachavagon explains the reason for the different expressions giving and inheriting. The third declaration is when there is a promise of inheritance, as Avraham himself asked, how will I know I inherited it? But the earlier verses speak of God giving the land, and these two expressions reflect the two ways or the two stages of Eretz Yisrael becoming our land, one in the format of giving and one in the format of inheritance. These two formats, says the Raghachavar, occurred in two phases of conquering the land. The first phase was the giving or the gifting of the land of Eretz Yisrael, the entire land of Israel. The second phase was when the nation returned to receive the land as an inheritance, which was not necessarily a return of the entire land. With this in mind, we can better understand the difference 
between the first two promises and the third promise God makes at the time of the covenant. The second time we occupied the land was when we returned from an exile that we had experienced due to our sins. And this is alluded to in the promise that accompanies the covenant which follows Avram's question to God, how will I know I've inherited it? The Talmud in this section of Nidorim teaches that for a person of Avram's stature, questioning God was considered a sin. His question followed by the covenant indeed is reflected in the words God speaks. Know that your children will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. and They will enslave and oppress them for 400 years. The Egyptian exile and the future exiles are alluded to here. But the first time Eretz Yisrael was conquered through Yeshua, through Joshua, when we first entered the land, is alluded to in the first two promises God declares to Abraham. These are disconnected from anything Abraham says or does. The, they are simply God's promise to Abraham, to Avram. The second time God makes this promise to give the land to the nation, saying to your children, I have already given this land, follows Avram walking the length and the breadth of the land, which the Targum Yenison explains as an act of acquisition. Acquiring something requires an act of ownership. Avram's ownership of the land caused the land to be holy. Maimonides teaches that the actualization of that holiness began when we en masse conquered the land, lived in the land, and thus observed the mitzvahs connected to the holiness of the land, like the mitzvahs of tithing, in the midst of sanctifying the fruit grown in the seventh year, etc. When the land was taken from us, our conquering the land became nullified, and these mitzvahs were nullified, as the land was not at that time the land of Israel. But then, when we returned with Ezra, retaking the land in a way which would then have the halachic consideration of a chazaka, the strength of reclaiming what was ours, once again, the land became holy, which Maimonides explains in the laws of the temple. Maimonides further teaches that when we returned with Ezra from the Babylonian exile, we reacquired portions of the land, not through conquering the land, but by reclaiming our land, bringing the holiness back to the portions of the land we reacquired. These portions remain holy today and even when the land is taken from us, because of this chazaka, it remains holy. So what's the connection between the first time we conquered Eretz Yisrael and actualized her holiness through conquering the land and the idea of a gift? And the connection between the second time when we retook the land, came back to live in the land, returning the holiness to the land and the concept of an inheritance. To understand this, let's look at the words of Maimonides and the two questions the Kesef Mishnah, commentary on Maimonides authored by Rav Yosef Cairo, asks on Maimonides' teaching. In the first, the Kesef Mishnah writes, I don't know why the power of the legal reacquisition of the land, the power of Chazaka, would be greater than the power of conquering the land, why, when the land was taken from us, after our return and reacquisition of the land with Ezra, 
does the status of legal reacquisition of the land not become nullified? In the second question, the Kesef Mishnah asks, it is written that the land became holy when we conquered it. Wasn't this really retaking the land and a legal acquisition? Why would Chazaka, without conquering the land, be stronger than Chazaka with conquering? There are, as is known, numerous explanations for the words of Maimonides. The Radbaz, the famed halachist, who passed at 110 in Sfas in 1589, says that it seems to him that when Eretz Yisrael was first conquered, the acquisition was not stated verbally as it was in the days of Ezra. But aside from the fact that we find no source in scriptures that indicates that we verbally laid claim to the land, Maimonides too gives no indication that this would explain his position. In fact, Maimonides explicitly explains that the second acquisition of the land and the holiness of the land thereby remains forever, not because of a verbal declaration of the land's ownership, but because it was not an acquisition through conquering the land, rather a legal acquisition of it, different to the first time. Another of these explanations is that of the Tosfus Yamtov, Rabbi Yamtov Lipman Heller, a noted Talmudist who lived in Prague in Poland in the late 1500s. He addresses the question of the Kesef Mishnah, and he says, the Rambam's opinion is that if one conquers the land, but another people come and conquer it out from under us, then we lose our rights to the land. But if we acquire the land legally, as King Chizkiah, who did from Cyrus, the king of Persia, who gave him permission to rebuild and to reinforce, this reacquisition given by another cannot be nullified by someone who comes to take the land away, to conquer it away from us. Okay? But the questions of the Kesef Mishnah, why is Chazaka legal acquisition stronger than Kibush conquering the land? And why is Chazaka without Kibush stronger than with Kibush remain unanswered? Regarding the first question, if a non-Jew comes and conquers the land from under us, and this nullifies our ownership, how would it help if we had taken ownership of the land with an agreement and participation of the non-Jew rendering it a legal acquisition. Regarding the second question, even when Joshua, when Yehoshua came and conquered the land, there were portions of land that were given to us, making them legally transferred territory, like in the case of the Yevonim, who transferred their land to the nation. Yet Maimonides does not separate between one place where land was conquered and another where it is a chazaka. He just says regarding the entirety of the land of Israel that as the land was taken from them, the kibush, the conquering, is nullified. Tithes and other mitzvahs of the land were then not required. The Tosfus Yomtev adds that one cannot say if it's about giving the land that gives it a chazaka, about giving the land that gives it a chazaka, then God, who promised us the land of Israel, gave the land. He gave the land first to the nation of Israel. Because in response to that, just as God gave the land to us, so the prophets that God gave us prophesied that the land would be taken away from us by foreign conquerors. And the prophet told us that Kurish, the king of Persia, would return it. 
Would then those prophecies change the status? There's no such prophecy regarding the Romans who came and took the land from us, which means they had no right to do so. The land may not be stolen, and the land still has the holiness of Eretz Yisrael. There's another really challenging issue here, though. If the land is conquered from us, and this is a legal action, why does it make a difference if there's a prophecy about it or not, if it was a legal acquisition? If the issue is that a non-Jew cannot take and acquire the land from us through war, and thus, as there was no prophecy that they would conquer the land from us, they had no right to do so. This is not about conquering the land in war. It's about conquering the land determined by prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar, regarding whom there was prophecy, and Koresh, who gave back land regarding whom there was prophecy, are exceptions. But this isn't at all what Maimonides is talking about. Maimonides explains the reason for the difference and how the land is impacted in terms of how we got the land. The first acquisition of the land through conquering it, the second through legal acquisition. The Tosfos Yom Tov highlights how the land of Israel was taken from us. When the land was taken from us and we went into exile in Babylonia and there had been a prophecy about this exile, it didn't matter how we acquired the land. Taking the land from us was lawful. But when we were exiled a second time, and there had been no prophecy about this being land being conquered, the land did not lose its holiness, even if our acquisition had been through conquering it, even if it hadn't been returned to us by Koresh. Let's go back to the second question of the Kesef Mishnah, regarding the portions given to us not by conquest, but by Chazaka, and the ultimate Chazaka of the land once we conquered it. We could say, as some commentaries do, in explaining the position of Maimonides, that as it was intended for the land to be acquired through conquering it, it is not considered acquired by chazaka, by legal means. This, however, requires a closer look. After all, the intention was to acquire the land. What does it matter how? And it was a Torah decree to do so. Furthermore, as we said, the Givonim handed their land over to the nation. So the land that was given willingly should certainly maintain its holiness. How do we understand all of this? Two things transpired when the land was given to us. One was ownership, that the ownership of the land passed to the Jewish nation. The second is the holiness that the land took on. Regarding ownership, the Jewish nation's ownership of the land indeed came through God giving the land to our forefather Abraham. As the Jerusalem Talmud teaches us regarding the words, I have already given this land, these were not words that highlight a promise of something yet to be, but of the fact that the land of Israel belonged to the Jews for all eternity long before they conquered it. And this connection to the land is represented in the halakhic determination of the daughters of Slavchad, who received their father's portion of land. Slavchad was a firstborn, and thus entitled to a double portion of inheritance. But the law is that a firstborn cannot receive a double portion of something that is not yet in existence. He only receives a double portion of what is. And though we were not yet in the land of Israel, as this took place when we were still in the desert, 
Before we conquered the land, the daughters of Slavchad were given a double portion. Why? Because Lizarach Nasati, the land of Eretz Yisrael, was already ours. But the holiness of the land of Israel, particularly as it was relevant to the mitzvahs observed with the land, only began when the Jews entered the land and could observe these mitzvahs. It's in this discussion about coming into the land that there's a difference in these two issues. When we first came into the land, we had instructions to go into the land armed. In fact, the tribes of Reuven, Gud, and half of Manasseh were commanded to enter as the first platoon ahead of all of Israel, heavily armed as mighty warriors. This was war, and thus the holiness of the land was acquired through war. So the portions that were acquired through Hazaka, which wasn't the instruction God gave, God's instruction was about conquering the land through war, would not affect holiness in the land. In fact, the holiness of the land was affected as soon as Yerichai was conquered. Jericho, Yerichai, is considered the lock of the land of Israel, which is why the seven nations concentrated their efforts there, as once Yerichai was breached and conquered, the entire land of Israel would be conquered. Indeed, some mitzvahs of the land depended on the conquered land being divided between the tribes, but this did not affect the general holiness of the land. So now there's yet another explanation for why Chazaka, even the cities of the Givonim, didn't impact holiness in the land, as the holiness was affected immediately upon conquering Yerichai. This Chazaka gave nothing to the holiness of the land. But when the nation returned with Ezra, regarding which God said, at the completion of 70 years, I will remember you, and I will fulfill my word and restore you to this place. God's will was not that they return to conquer the land, but to go up, to return to the land, and dwell in it once again. And so the holiness was affected through the legal acquisition of resettling the land. This then answers the first question of the Kesef Mishnah, which was, how can Maimonides teach that when through Kibush the land can be taken from the Jews by non-Jews, but not when there is Chazaka, since the conquering of the land through Yeshua, taking the land against the will of another, was what affected the holiness in the land. Another nation coming and taking the land from us would take that holiness away. But the second time we came to the land, through our return with Ezra, we took the land back through Chazaka and not Kibush, not conquering. Chazaka determines full legal rights of ownership, and not like land taken from another. The holiness this time was us bringing the holiness back to a land that was ours and holy long before Yeshua conquered it. And so it does not become nullified when another nation comes and conquers the land away from us by war. Another way of saying this would be that when Ezra returned, it was with the legal rights to Eretz Yisrael from which we were exiled, and so the holiness is never removed. This explanation also connects to how Chassidus explains our spiritual ownership of the land of Eretz Yisrael in our individual divine service. In the first experience of holiness in the land, the nation was like a nation of tzaddikim. In the return with Ezra, we were like Baalei Tshuva. 
One way in which these two levels of divine service are different is that the service of tzaddikim is essentially from above to below, affecting a purification and an elevation of the lower realm through drawing down holiness, holiness of Torah, godliness from above. Because this effect that is motivated from above does not actually cause long-term change in the lower realm. It is like the holiness through war, through conquering the land that was held in the clutches of a negating power. The negating power remains, they may not be in the land, but they remain as a power even as the land is now under different ownership. Thus, it can be taken back and the conquest made null. The same is true for man's divine service. When one is only involved in his divine service, until his connection to God is tested in real time, there's a possibility that a test will weaken him and he won't be able to withstand. But a Baal Tshuva, whose divine service is motivated from below, when one literally turns oneself into a vessel of holiness in this world, has the strength of consistent and ongoing holiness. When one is involved in the world and even experiences its lowliness in a personal way, doing the opposite of what God wants, and then turns back to God, to Torah and to mitzvahs, this return points to how Torah has become his everything and has become so very real in his life that nothing of his past can hold him back. His relationship with God is consistent and ongoing. And this was like the return to the land of Israel with Ezra, when even after we were exiled from our land because of our sins, we return to a holiness that is ours and to a land that was always ours. Now we can address and answer the question what the first experience of holiness in the land has to do with God stating that he would gift us the land of Israel and the second experience of holiness with the expression of inheritance. There's nothing that can put pause on an inheritance. Once an inheritance is given, it's not something that can be taken back. This is a gift which can one can promise to give, but one can renege on giving it or even take a gift back. The recipient, in the case of a gift, has no recourse because it's not about him. It's about the gifter. The gift of the land of Israel to the Jewish people thus was mostly relevant to our first entry into the land with Yoshua when we conquered Eretz Yisrael. It was a gift from above to below. It was not something we had a claim to. An inheritance, however, is based on the fact that the inheritor is close to the one from whom he inherits and thus has a claim to the inheritance. In fact, the transfer of the inheritance to the inheritor is considered as property transferring to same ownership. And so the second experience of the land affected with holiness is like an inheritance. We came back to what was ours, to a land we already owned. This too can be said to explain the way that the verses allude to the first experience of the holiness of the land when God speaks of giving the land in the future to the children of Avraham versus the experience of Eretz Yisrael with the return of Ezra in the words of the verse that say, I have given the land in past tense. The first experience was connected to a connection to the land that was yet to manifest, 
conquering the land from another in whose possession the land was not holy. The second experience of affecting holiness was with a full measure of connection and ownership that needed only to be re-revealed as Eretz Yisrael was ours and had been given to our forefathers. The difference between a gift and an inheritance in regard to the land of Israel is only in regards to how the holiness of the land was affected. When we first entered and it was a gift, the second entry was an inheritance which cannot be interrupted and cannot be suspended. The essential ownership, however, of Eretz Yisrael is constant and consistent from the moment God gave Avram this land at the covenant when it was given as an eternal, eternal inheritance, the covenant strengthening this eternal promise. This means it doesn't matter what we're up to spiritually, even if we're spiritually bereft, distanced from our land, or distanced from God, Eretz Yisrael belongs to us then too. It's our land from which we have been distanced. Our land, our earth, though we sinned in the interim, it is an inheritance from our forefathers. This is particularly obvious in the legal determination of Maimonides, who says that there is an inheritance in the holiness of the land too, and it is ongoing. And thus, we may not barter the land for anything, because in addition to the fact that from the great Nile River until the Euphrates, the entire land is our inheritance, the inheritance of every Jew. No one can give up any piece of this land, God forbid. This would go against God's will, who by his will gave it to us as an eternal portion and inheritance. When we stand firm on that point, we can successfully stand firm in that space. And may we do so until the prophecy that nations will help us fulfill God's will in general, and specifically regarding the wholeness of the land. And they will do so even as we are still in exile. This will then hasten Mashiach's coming, when the entirety of the ten nations will be in our hands, and all nations will call out in the name of one God and serve one Creator. May it be speedily in our days, Mamash.